0: Well, thank you, team, for leading us in all that songs and music. Thank you. Before before we look at our passage for today, I want to take a moment and comment about this new sermon series that we're going to begin two weeks from today on April 28th. We are going to our plan. Most of us have made plans and they didn't work out exactly like you had planned, But our plan is that we're going to do a study on the gospel of Mark. We're going to work through that gospel week after week at the pace of, if we can keep this pace up, we're going to go one chapter per week. And uh, so now in a, well, I was going to say in a perfect world that would take 16 weeks, but we don't live in a perfect world. Plus, we're already intentionally going to take breaks every three or four or five weeks and look at what we call some of God's great words. We talked about that two weeks ago. So here's a little bit about what I've learned throughout the years. I've learned that um, the people who do their homework almost always get more out of the class than people who don't do their homework. Would you agree with that? How many believe that if you do your homework, you get more out of the class than if you don't? Okay. Okay. You've been in the same class as I've been in, and you know how that is. So I want to encourage you. This is just a word of encouragement. I want to encourage you to do your homework before you come to church, starting in two weeks. Now, your homework, it's not overwhelming. Uh, I'm not asking for three hours a day. I'm asking for 10 minutes a week. Okay, so can you give me a minute and a half every day? Or just take one day and, and give, don't give it to me, give the Lord 10 minutes. Your homework is to read one chapter in the Gospel of Mark and to read the chapter that we're going to study when we come together on Sunday. So between now and two weeks from now, you've got two weeks, and all that I'm asking for is 10 minutes. You've got two weeks at home to read through Mark chapter 1 before we come together on Sunday, April 28th. Now, here's what I've learned. If you're single, of course, go ahead and read it alone. If you're married, I would encourage, I would suggest that you read it with your husband or wife. When Sharon and I read through scripture like this, we generally read five verses and then the other person reads five verses and then I read five and Sharon reads five and we get through and it's less than 10 minutes. So that's just a suggestion. If you have kids at home that are old enough to read, you're smart enough to figure out how to get them involved in reading through those chapters. Now that's all free, right? That's all free. You've already owned the Bible. You've already got, I've said many times, most most of us have more Bibles in our house than we have people. Would you agree with that as well? Yes, so we have plenty of Bibles, so you don't have to go out and buy a new Bible, but what I'm going to ask you to do, is this is all your choice, I'm going to ask you to spend one dollar. Okay? In the next 16 weeks, I'm just going to suggest you spend one dollar and go to your favorite store and buy a spiral bound notebook and bring that with you every Sunday. And as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, you will have all your sermon notes in one place for the rest of your life. You'll keep that book with you. So find one. You can find one. They're a dollar. You can find one for 59 cents if you look for a sale. That's all you need to spend. Now, that's it. Any questions? No questions. Thank you. If you have questions, you can ask me in the lobby. Now for today. Today's Palm Sunday. Today is the day when we remind ourselves that there really was a day, now just think about this, there really was a day when Jesus rode into into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And as He entered Jerusalem, the people there in town laid palm branches in front of Him and the donkey as a way to proclaim Jesus as their King. Now, for many people in the world today, the week between Palm Sunday and Easter is just another week, and it means little or nothing. But for those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, this week is the anniversary of the most important thing that has ever happened. Jesus died, he was buried, and he came back to life. And he's still just as much alive today as he was that day in Jerusalem. Let me say that again. He's still just as much alive today as he was when he came out of the grave, out of that tomb in Jerusalem. Now, here's what I'd like to do. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. That's our main passage for today. And if you're able, I'm going to ask that we stand. Let's all stand. If you're able, let's stand. And I will read the first 13 verses. You can just follow along in your Bible. I'll read the first 13 verses. John chapter 12. This is what God's Word, the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God says. Beginning in John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover... Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Let's just pray for a moment, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that You have allowed us, you have allowed us the privilege to live in a day and time and place where owning Bibles and holding those Bibles in our hand is just so easy to do. We realize there are places around the world where having your own Bible is almost next to impossible. So God, I ask that you would continue to burn within us a desire to spend time in Your Word. But Lord, as we look at this passage today, we ask that uh, You would speak to us through the power of Your Word, that all of us today would leave here as changed people, not because of anything I ever say, but because this is Your Word, and it has the power to do its work in our life. So we ask, Lord, that the things that I say, we ask, Lord, that the things that we think That all of those things would be pleasing to you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. John one twelve takes place during an annual event known as Passover. (laughs) Jewish people from all over the world came to Jerusalem every year to celebrate this holy event. In fact, there are people in Jerusalem today celebrating Passover. Passover was a reminder to the Jewish people that there really was a time when God delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. This afternoon, if you've got nothing to do, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12 and you can go back and read the story where God told the Israelites that with one more plague, He said one more plague, He would force the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. God told Moses to tell the people in preparation to their leaving, that they should sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of their house. So that that particular night, when the death angel, I want you to picture this in your mind, when the death angel passes over Egypt, if it sees the blood on the doorposts of the house, the house is safe. But if the death angel passes over your house and there's no blood the oldest child in that house is going to die. That's why this annual event became known as Passover, because the death angel was passing over Egypt. Now, Passover is an eight-day event that's always celebrated in either March or April, although the date, as you know, is different year after year after year. It makes no sense. But it does make sense when we understand how they arrive at those dates. Passover is different from Christmas, which we always celebrate on December 25th. It's different than Valentine's Day, which is always on February 14th. It's different than Independence Day, which is July 4th. Passover and Easter, the date seems to fluctuate back and forth, and for people, sometimes we don't even pay attention, we just, well, we look ahead, and when is Easter, and for some reason it was was in March last year, and now it's in April, and next year it's in April, and then it's in April, and then it goes back to March. Why is that? Passover begins on the last Saturday night at sundown, just prior to the first full moon after the first day of spring. Now let me go back and say that again because I've had to say this many times and you know sometimes in Passover season like this I kind of get it straight in my mind and then about the time I get to my car after church is over I'm all confused and I can't remember anything so let me say this Passover and Easter are determined by the date we're not going to have a test on this so just relax okay Passover and Easter are determined by the date of the first full moon After the first day of spring. Passover begins on the last Saturday at sundown, just prior to the first full moon, after the first day of spring. First day of spring is March 21st. In 2019, the first full moon after March 21st is going to happen on April 19th. Let me say that again, the first full moon after the first day of spring in 2019 is going to happen on April 19th. That'll be next Friday. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the first day of spring. Easter will be next Sunday, April 21st. Passover began last night at sundown, eight days before Easter. By the time we get to John chapter 12, if we're talking about dates, by the time we get to John chapter 12, Jewish people would have been celebrating Passover every year for 1,400 years. It was 1,400 years before John chapter 12 when the nation of Israel marched out of Egypt. And so, since Jewish people were encouraged to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, Jesus and his disciples are headed to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. The guy's name is Josephus. Josephus lived in the first century, and he was a historian. He's the guy, if you're wondering who the guy is, it's, he's the guy who took the time to write down details that happened in the first century. Josephus tells us that in the year when Jesus was crucified, there were, now think about this number, in the year when Jesus was crucified, there were 250,000 lambs offered as sacrifices during Passover. 250,000 lambs offered as sacrifices during Passover. That's a lot of lambs, right? That's a lot of sheep. That's a lot of shepherds out there in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. For Jewish people, for years, they had developed a tradition that when they traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, they would bring a lamb with them. But somewhere along the way, before Jesus came, somewhere along the way in this 1,400-year time span, Somebody came up with an idea. It would be a lot easier and it would make a lot more sense if when we get to Jerusalem we could just buy a lamb instead of bringing one with us for days and days and days. And so that's how we ended up with all the problems of the buying and the selling in the temple when they're going and people wanted more money than this lamb was worth and if you want that one, it's more money. And So what seemed like a good idea to begin with turned into be a bad idea. Let's look at a part of this passage from Exodus chapter 12. Now, I want you to have that number. How many lambs were sacrificed in the year Jesus was crucified? 250,000 lambs. Let's go back and read, follow along. Exodus 12, I'm going to read four verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, it, now let's just stop. In other words, if, you've, if you're going to roast a lamb and your family isn't large enough to eat a whole lamb, you invite your neighbors to come over and share the lamb with you. Verse 4, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Now, if each lamb was, on the average, prepared and shared as a meal by, let's just say, 10 people, because it could have been 8, it could have been 10, it could have been 12, but if you're trying to do these numbers in your head, it's easier to multiply and divide by 10 than it is by 8 or 12. So let's imagine that each lamb would serve its purpose and would provide a meal for 10 people. Now remember, Josephus is the guy that told us there were 250,000 lambs sacrificed in the year when Jesus was crucified. You know what that means, don't you? That means that there must have been 2,500,000 people in Jerusalem that year if each lamb would provide a meal for 10 people. Now on the surface... I mean, here we are on the other side of the world, 2,500,000 people in Jerusalem. That may or may not seem like a lot of people, but when we understand that the population of Jerusalem at that time was somewhere between forty and 50,000, and now we've got 2,500,000 people in Jerusalem during Passover, can you imagine the people in Passover? I mean, the whole town of Jerusalem is flooded with people. There is nowhere to stay. There's nowhere to stand. Everything inside the walls is completely full of people, and we probably have another million or more people standing outside Jerusalem just hoping they can sometime get inside the walls to see what's going on. That's the situation that we find in John chapter 12. Now, I want us to consider two questions, and then we're going to make an application. Here's the first question. Why are there so many people? We have this town of 40,000. And now, even though it's Passover, they've never had this many people show up before. So my question is, why are there so many people this year? And the answer is John chapter 12, verse 9. I think it's on the screen. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. A large crowd was in town, not just because of Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. If you want to draw a really big crowd, here's what you do. You announce ahead of time that a special guest is going to be in town this week, someone who's already died and came back to life. And if you can pull that off, you will get people to come by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, because everybody wants to see this person who you claim has been dead but is now alive. But you know, this story in John chapter 12 is even bigger than that. Lazarus, Lazarus is not some guy who was over here at one of the hospitals in Sioux Falls and in the middle of surgery, his heart stopped. And when surgery's all done, he claims that he died and he heard angels singing or he saw bright lights and and the doctor said, well, he was clinically dead for about 42 seconds, but he can't. That is not at all what this is like. I can't explain anything that happens over there at hospitals in 2019. I can't even begin to explain or even understand how you can die. Okay, that's another whole story. In this case this is much bigger than that Lazarus is a guy who died you got that he died and then according to John chapter 11 verse 17 he was in the tomb for four days and Jesus shows up at the tomb and he says Lazarus come forth and Lazarus the guy who has been dead for four days not 42 seconds. He's been dead and buried for four days. He walks out of the grave. And if you go back and read John chapter 11, he's still got all the, he's still wound with what I would call gauze and cloth and all these things. Can you imagine? Can you even begin to imagine? When Jesus is standing there at the, at the entryway of that tomb, the reason he says, Lazarus, come forth. Instead of just come forth, if he would have said just come forth, everybody in the cemetery would have come forth. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He's been dead and buried for four days. And that's that's why there's a large crowd in Jerusalem that day. They came to see Lazarus. I read in a commentary last week this comment about verse 9. It says, let me read it for you. Many of them had heard of the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection. When they discovered that Jesus had returned to be with Lazarus in Bethany, the people came to see both of them. The Jewish leaders, as you remember, were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. They said he claimed to be God. But Lazarus didn't have that claim. Lazarus had nothing to do with that. They wanted to see Lazarus simply because he was a living testimony to the power of Jesus. Jesus had brought him back from the dead. Question number one, why are there so many people in Jerusalem this year? It's not only because of Jesus, it's because of Lazarus. You start telling people that this guy that's been dead and buried for four days came back to life and he's going to be in Jerusalem, you'll get a crowd. Here's a second question. Why does Mary anoint the feet of Jesus just prior to Jesus entering Jerusalem? The answer is in John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. By anointing Jesus' feet, Mary is humbly preparing him for burial. Jesus is with his disciples in Bethany, which is a little community just two or three miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus and His disciples are there in the home of His friends, Mary and Martha, our sisters, and their brother is named Lazarus. It was a very special time for Jesus and His friends because Jesus, while at the same time that He's all human, He's also all God, and He knows what's going to happen. Look at John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. 500 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, Zechariah the prophet prophesied this in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew that when he entered Jerusalem, he was offering himself to die. Now, Jesus is 100% man at the same time that he's 100% God. He's not some creature of Greek mythology where he's part man and part God. No, 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 no. He's 100% man. At the same time that he's 100% God. And he knows, because remember, he's 100% God. He knows what's going to happen even before it happens. If you and I somehow knew, and I don't even really know what that means, but if you and I knew that next Tuesday we'd be killed in a car accident, Would you change your life for next Tuesday? You know, I would guess we'd probably stay home with the doors locked. Or even if we did get outside the house, we wouldn't go anywhere near a car. If we somehow knew that next Tuesday we were going to be killed in a car accident. Jesus knew that he was going to be killed in Jerusalem before the week was over. And he goes into Jerusalem anyway. And why does he go? He goes because He loves us. And He goes because He knows that His blood sacrifice is the only way to pay for the sin of the world. It says in Hebrews 10, the first four verses, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves, for this reason. It can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible. Say that word with me, impossible. Impossible. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why Jesus came to earth. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice. Some of you have this word in your own Bible translation, propitiation, which may be one of the words we're going to look at in some of those God's great words. Because propitiation, you know what that is? That's, that's a word we use inside these walls. Nobody ever uses that word when you go outside here because you don't even know what it means. I don't even my dad told me years ago, Steve, don't use words you don't know what they mean. Now I would venture that not a single person here and probably not a single person we know has ever used the word propitiation outside the walls of a church. That's why some Bible translations have changed it. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the world. And that's why Jesus came to die was because he died for the sins of the world so that you and I could have our sin forgiven if we put our faith in Jesus. Palm branches were commonly used that in Two thousand years ago as a symbol of victory. In the Roman Empire, it became a tradition that people would lay palm branches on the road ahead of a person they were proclaiming as their king and that caused more problems. Because if you lived in the Roman Empire, there was only one king and his name was Caesar. And if you, still, and if you begin to worship somebody else and proclaim that person to be the king, you've got problems. There is no other king except Caesar. And that's why the Romans came down hard. That's why they arrested Jesus and crucified Him. The Jews believed that in the same way that God had protected them by putting the blood of the lamb on their doorposts 1,400 years before, they believed that God would continue to protect them and grant favor in their life if they continued to sacrifice lambs and ask to be forgiven during Passover. What they did not understand was that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and that he came to pay the full and final and complete price, to sacrifice his own blood for the sin of the world, and to make the point, he didn't do it in June, July, August, September, January, he didn't do it, He, he shed his blood on the same day in Jerusalem when they were sacrificing the lambs, because he is the Lamb of God. There really was a day. When Jesus, God's only Son, rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Now, for most people, for most people in this world, Easter is a bigger celebration than Palm Sunday. But without Palm Sunday, there is no Easter. And even though the crowds proclaimed him as their king on Sunday, by Friday afternoon he would be dead. Now let's close. Let's see if we can make an application out of this. So I come to this point, and okay, so why was the crowd so big? It was because of Lazarus. And what was Mary doing when she washed his feet? She was preparing him for his burial. And I get that, and you get that. But let's, let me ask this question. So what? What does that mean to your coworker or your next-door neighbor? who doesn't believe in Easter and doesn't believe in Jesus. So how how do we get them to understand what Easter is all about? Let's see if we can make an application out of this because for most people in this world, they either are number one, they have no idea what Easter is all about, or two, they may have grown up in church years ago, but they fell in love with the world and the world has got them distracted and right now they... They really couldn't care less about Easter or Jesus or anything like that. They're more concerned about consuming the products of the world. And as we do our best, as you and I do our best to sow these, what I call these little seeds of the gospel, let's, let's think about this for a minute. How can you and I have a calm, quiet, respectful conversation with others? about the true meaning of Easter. How can we do that? How can we do that with people who never go to church? How can we do that with people who don't profess faith in Christ? How can we have, how can we have this nice conversation with people? And I've got an idea. I've got an idea of a conversation we can have. So I'll tell you the words that I've sort of scripted in my mind and you can, you're can you welcome to take these words and use them or tweak them and adjust them to fit your situation. I'm imagining that I'm having a conversation with someone in my extended family who has no time for Easter and the conversation in my mind would be like this. I've got a, I've got a question for you. I'm going to ask this friend of mine, I've got a question for you. First of all, let me say that I like candy just as much as anybody likes candy. But can you help me to understand what chocolate rabbits and little yellow marshmallow chickens have to do with Easter? Can you help me to understand that? Because I don't get it. And I like candy just as much as anybody likes candy. And then I'm going to give them a minute to reply, because I want to know what they're thinking. Remember, our goal here is not to be mean. That's not our goal. Our, our goal is is not to make fun of people who don't understand Easter. That's not our goal. And our goal is not to shove the gospel down somebody's throat. That's not our goal. Our goal is just to have this friendly conversation with a friend or coworker about the meaning of Easter. And may God bless you and give you the right words to use when you had that conversation in a respectful way. And may God bless you as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord next Sunday. Sharon and I will be back in two weeks. We already had plans to be gone next weekend. And then we will be here every week for the next six or seven or eight weeks in a row. And we're looking forward to that. So may God bless you as you attempt to have those conversations with people who have no understanding about Easter. Let's close in prayer. Let me read a verse from Jude, and then I'll pray. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And God, we ask that you would go with us. Lord, I pray for these friends here at Cross Point as they attempt to have these just peaceful, loving conversations with people who are confused about Easter. Help all of us to be able to say the right words and to be respectful of other people's opinions. And Lord, we just ask that the little seeds of the gospel would begin to grow as we attempt to do our best to be the aroma of Christ. We thank you for sending Jesus, who loved us and went to the cross to shed his blood for our sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.